I fucked up. I fucked up. I made a mistake. Oh my god, watching that was I'm the best done. part of my day. I'm done. <laughs> oh my god, damn. And then I went to cough and I took the inhale for like the cough, like the Yeah. And it was it was hot and it was not great. And I, my body immediately was like, You have made a massive mistake right mm-hmm. now. Like, I saw it all over your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My lungs were like, Nope, gotta go. So I was just like <laughs> like, like Oh, oh that's oh too funny. Christ. Woo! <laughs> Welcome back to Congratulations, Your Divorce, Season 1, Episode 10. I am your host, Stephen Woodson, and joining me, as always, is my jovial co-host, who is so unprepared for that intro, Keith Parker. Uh, hello. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is our Season 1 finale, which I am super excited about. Last week, we started the conversation on trust and trusting ourselves, and this week, we're going to dive more into how is it possible for us to trust Anybody else, you know, can that even be done? But first, I really just wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening for 10 episodes. May not sound like a lot, but these are 10 episodes of our story of the trauma of us going through divorce and everything pre and post. And it's just been exciting. And, you know, we're not done yet. We have a lot more exciting things to get to. So it's it's been real vulnerable, right, to to open this up and and tell our story to the world. But it's been uh, it's made my heart really happy to hear. The feedback that we've gotten and that, you know, people have reached out and going through similar situations and just them asking questions and just trying to navigate this like the best way that they can, you know? Yeah. I've honestly enjoyed the people that have reached out to us that aren't going through anything like this and it's given them appreciation for their own relationships. That's that's astonishing to me. That's something that I don't think either of us really factored in that people would enjoy, but that's that's fun. So shout out to y'all that are actually doing that. Yeah, I mean, we had that conversation early on before we even started, like, before this concept was <laughs> even in motion, was that we never want to champion divorce. Like, that's not, Mm-mm. it's not the purpose, right? Like, we want to champion love and marriage and healthy and, you know, yeah. all of that, right? Mental health. We're and, advocates for a good, healthy relationship, but just make sure it's good and healthy. <laughs> yeah, the, the good and healthy part. So, that that has been really cool to have people reach out and be like, you know what? Like, you made me appreciate my wife more, or you made me appreciate my husband more, because, like, he he would never treat me like that or she would never say that to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, yeah, it makes me happy. Even if you look at my shit show of a story and you go, damn, I ain't got to be like that. Cool. You got something from it. So I appreciate you yeah. for listening. It's been crazy for me because I've become desensitized to my story. You know, obviously I've lived it. So for me, that's just mm-hmm. my life. That's just my history. So I've normalized a whole bunch of things. And to hear some people's reactions to you know, what I've had to go through has been pretty funny and eye opening because I'm like, it's not that bad, but it, I mean, it was, I know it was. <laughs> and so to hear somebody who hasn't had to deal with any of that, their reaction to what I've been through and like the empathy that they come at me with, it's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. It's like, it's okay. I'm, I'm healed now. Like everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like we're good. We made it through. It's like, it's all right. Mm-hmm. Like 
I wish you'd have showed up a few years ago and gave me a hug. Yeah, like, like that would have been you know, amazing. I, I'm good now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're about four years too late, homie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that you know, the thought that counts. Yeah, just, but I mean this whole just the whole story. <laughs> just being married for a decade or almost a decade, right? Thinking that you had everything in life figured out, and then three years later you're telling your entire story to <laughs> strangers on the internet yeah what a wild time I, it's a it's a wild time and i get you know it's gonna get wilder it's gonna get funnier it's hopefully gonna get more interesting as we dive more and more into it the, will yeah know, i'm super excited about things. the seasons to come i think we have a really great direction that we plan on heading and you know it's, I, gonna, it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm just gonna tell you fuckery that's it that's what I'm the people want stories. parker <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that pops out like from maybe episode one, two, or three, like in those earlier episodes that that you want to go back to or revisit or talk about? or Hell no, it's hard enough to talk about it a second time. <laughs> That's a valid point. Outside That's of my therapist office. So. No. Um, I, I think the big overarching thing, like if I look back at my life and see how everything has affected me, it's been to just take the plunge take risk and turn whatever shitty thing that happens to you into a good opportunity. It's extremely hard to do. I mean, I struggle with it all the time still, but just having that language in the back of my head of taking whatever is hurting me right now, whatever it makes me sad, whatever I'm feeling really intensely right now to just use that as fuel to push forward. I think that's what saved me from a very, very deep, dark depression. I think that's something that saved me from losing everything and never trying again. There's another version of me out there. There's another universe out there with Steven Woodson in it who gave up. You know, he fell on some bad times. He hit some hard spots and he just could not find a way to reframe it and move forward. The The term reframing it has become so cliche to me now because I've used it so much in my life. And it's, yeah. be, it's because it's, it's that it's important to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the thing that has really continued on with me. Like countless times I've had to use that tool. So I know early on in the divorce, probably the biggest thing that stuck out for me was just communicating with people, just voicing mm. my hurt and my pain and my anger and everything else, because I would try to internalize it and analyze it and store it. And early on in that journey, that was not working out real great for me. Um, I mean, it didn't work out real great in my marriage and, yeah. uh, I didn't have any reason to believe it would work the same while I was, as I was going through divorce. So I really think just getting my feet under me and, and getting that small little village set up of people that I knew I could trust and could communicate with and, and say, you know, just be honest that I was, you know, days I was having good days or days where I was having terrible days where I just, I didn't want to deal with anything. Um, I think that was really the foundation for me for, I mean, making it all the way to this point, right? Of being able to trust ourselves. Mm. Um, it didn't, for me, I wouldn't have been able to do it without communication and just telling people like, hey, I'm not okay. And then them saying, you know what? Like, you're going through some shit. It's okay to not be okay. And I'm like, really? Yeah. It's that freedom of just being able to express yourself, you know, finally feeling bottled up all the time, but just having the freedom to break through and just share whatever is on your mind. Yeah. And channeling all the way through that and through the entire journey is now put me in the point to where I am ready to step back into the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not ready to date. I'm not right. Our journeys have a lot of similarities, but our journeys also have a lot of discrepancies between the two of them. Yeah. And at this point in my life, I was, I guess I was kind of ready to like date the world. I was finally ready to like reenter society. So I think that's what I love most about our stories is that 
one, the amount of time you were able to process through your stuff faster. That always fascinates me. Two is that how they run parallel, that honestly, you're doing more of what I wish I had done based on the lessons that I learned along the way. You know, I never could have gotten there having not done what I did. I don't even know if that made sense, but like <laughs> what I was doing, you know, trying to date and find love and, and wish for a better future and find hope. Like that's what, that's what drove me. But I wish I had taken just a step back to really appreciate the world for what it is, which is what you were doing. You were just trying to dip your toe back out into living in society again. Well, I think this is the interesting part to the story for me, because as I was trying to prepare myself to go back out into the world, right, I was trying to stack up everything we had won and gone through so far to prepare myself just to go back out and have some nightlife. But you and your journey, you've already been dating for like a year yeah. Like on, on the day that I'm ready to be like, Hey, Steven, let's go to the bar for the first time. Cause I don't have crippling depression. <laughs> and you're like, you know, I got you back. Like we, we're going to go out. I'm going to show you like, you're scared of the world. I'm going to show you the world. Cause I've already been in it. Yeah. I felt really cocky and confident at that time. I think I was trying to figure out which of two women to date whenever you and I reconnected. So mm-hmm. I was, I was just ready to introduce you into the world. I was like, Oh my God, I have a friend. Let's, let's go have some fun. <laughs> Yeah, I know you were super excited, like not not trying to shove me into the world, but you were very excited about like, oh, once you get through this sad stuff, mm-hmm. it's fun out here. And I was like, no, it ain't. It ain't fun out here. I don't I don't believe you. I want to say the first uh, maybe three months of your divorce, I was just trying to convince you it'll all be worth it, which honestly, like, man, I, I like I wish I had that, like, because I truly didn't know. I didn't know if it was going to be worth it. I said, I, I think I was making pros and cons list and talking to the therapist, trying to see if this would all pay out one day. And like, I could not wait to show you that it did pay out like this. This can be worth it. And that was super exciting for me because as I was going through my healing and like as I was building my trust in myself, I was able to watch you and you were able to kind of tell me some of that journey of Look, these were like, once I finally felt comfortable, right. And and going back out into the world, you were able to tell me like wins, losses, lessons learned. Hey, don't do this. Mm -hmm. Hey, you might want to check this or you can do this, but like, that's not the way I would do it. And so it allowed us to kind of have a dialogue because you had, in my opinion, you had so much more experience than me being out in the world because a year to me was 150. Like you'd been single for a year. That's like, that's a century. and a half. A year during COVID was, was crazy. But that was a weird flip for me because when we were growing up together, you were the dude with all the experience in the world. I mean, you were the classic kid in a, like, let's say 80s movie where he rolls in in his muscle car, smoking a cigarette, flicks it out and walks into the school. That was you, but at church (laughs) and you still owned it. Yeah. (laughs) You would still show up on either, uh, uh, what's the, the, um, you would show up on the crotch rocket or. Well, I had the, yeah, I had that Honda. Was it the Hayabusa? That's what I was trying to say. No, I didn't have a Hayabusa. We didn't have that much money. Uh, no, my dad just knew how to, you know. I th- you, that blue and white one that crackheads. you had, though. Uh, I know that, that was blue your dad. That one I learned was stolen. Yeah. That, oh, that was shit. Stolen. 
Yeah. So breaking story on the podcast. I had that bike for three days and then the police came and got it because I have my the picture got... still on my Facebook of me on that bike. I need to take that down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was one of three. Well, no, the bike's been returned to its rightful owner. Okay. So it's like, it's all good. Uh, dad did. I think, I think he did 45 days and had to pay like a thousand dollar fine for like petty theft, but no, it's, it's all good. Uh, now the red one he bought, that was the Honda C. Like I said, I think it was a CZ like 750 or something. That's the so. one that I remember leaving band practice with you and me. I had to take tailgate you because you said that the plates weren't legal like make sure i don't get pulled over on the way home yeah yeah because my dad had just bought it and the tags were still yeah the tags weren't weren't good yet so yeah but no that yeah that was that was me that's so, how i but, viewed you so you were the one with experience so uh, the fact that you viewed it in a in a flipped frame of view was it, it's it's in, it's insane well i spent 10 years inside keep that in mind like you were you know in our childhood right you were inside i was outside mm-hmm. and then we were both inside being married <laughs> and then you were out in the world for a whole year. So yeah, it's, 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 you know, life always finds a way to balance itself. Right. But you leaned on me. I leaned on you. So, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, just, I'm happy that I had you cause you came in at the exact right time that I needed somebody this, this whole year that I spent trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and date women and kind of put this, this fairy tale that I had built in my head, you know, I was chasing a spark. I would have these little interactions with people and build gigantic stories off of them. Just hoping that like everything, you know, I could ride off into the sunset, everything would work out, you know, in exactly my favor and everything was going to be amazing, which it has, but it took a lot of work to get there. (laughs) So like, I remember just hunting for this, what I thought at the time could be unachievable spark that I would find someone and it would be this magical moment where I could tell a story. I grew up with my parents having a story where my dad like literally pulls into a school parking lot, sees my mom sitting on the the bed of a truck and says, I'm going to marry that woman. That's, that's what I was raised with. That that's how you find love. And my brother ironically finds the same kind of story seeing his wife, you know, sunbathing outside and says like, she's amazing. I want to, I want to marry her. So these were my examples of what love is, what a fairy tale could be. And that's not really anything that I, I had had before. So I said, here's a chance to reboot my life, to, to respawn, restart, and go out there and get that. And so I would take these little interactions that I was having with women and paint them into this gigantic story when it was just, oh, I met you at a Walgreens. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not this big fairy tale yeah. moment, but... The thing that I kept falling into was trust. Like I didn't know that it was trust at the time. This is this is obviously a hindsight lesson, but I, I look back at everything that I was doing and I kept putting myself in these situations where I had no risk. I would meet someone, write a big fairy tale, write a story, and then if it ever started to eke out of that fairy tale, I would bail. I wouldn't allow myself to get trapped into a situation where I could get hurt again. And so I was creating these stories over and over and over with no possibility of a villain, hoping that it would all work out in my favor. So elaborate on that a little bit for me, because you meet someone, right? You have a spark, an initial spark, attraction, whatever it may be, right? Commonalities, common interest, yada, yada, yada. You start dating, you go, you know, you go on a few dates, you find the spark, you, right? You start writing the story. Would it be the first sign of anything or the first lack of anything that where you would just be like, no, this doesn't fit my fairy tale. I need to, I need to go find my fairy tale. I wasn't really that articulate with it. 
it would creep up on me. Like I would be enjoying the relationship and having fun doing what I was doing. And then slowly, like the glass would start to splinter and the surface would start to get a little bit fragile. And then I'd get super worried that if I go down this path, I'm going to end up where I was, where one of us is going to be unhappy. There's going to turn into resentment. And then a relationship being surrounded by eggshells where you're afraid to step anywhere because there's so much damaged shit around you that you can't, you can't move. I was so afraid of getting locked into a situation like that again, that I I would bail as soon as the glass shattered in my mind. So once I saw signs of something teetering in the wrong direction, I would bail. I'm very glad I did that. Like to this day, I'm glad I was super picky. But here's the thing. I wouldn't change any part of my story whatsoever. But looking back now, I definitely had trust issues. Well, it would get tainted. That would that would be the verbiage you use with me, right? Is that everything would be fantastic. You'd be dating. You'd be happy. You'd be this. Look at this. Blah, 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 blah. And then something would happen and you would use that verbiage of like, man, it's tainted now. I don't know mm-hmm. if it'll ever. And then it'd be like two days, right? And you'd be like, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I broke it off. Yeah, I was so afraid of getting trapped back where I was. That I, I mean, I would bail at any second. When did that pattern break for you? Like, what, did you ever have that realization moment of like, oh, I'm not, I'm not trusting myself enough, or I'm not trusting other people. I'm not even allowing trust to form. I mean, what, was it a slow, gradual thing, or was there, you know, an eye-opening moment? There was an eye-opening moment. I I met someone that seemed extremely emotionally healthy, who had been through trauma herself, and would talk talk me through my own trauma. And it, long story short, it it turned manipulative where it was, it was almost a control sense on her side, but there was like, it, it pushed up against what I thought I knew and made me question things. So it wasn't just me forcing myself to reframe, you know, the world, she would help me reframe it. And it felt really, really helpful at the time. And I think it genuinely was really helpful at the time, but I don't give a good goddamn how she helped you reframe it. I didn't like her. So how about that one? (laughs) And I wasn't shy on my feelings either. I was cool in the beginning when everything was cool. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget that bitch ruined suit night, my peacocking night, and I'm not going to forget about it because I'm petty. Because you had to leave me at the bar by myself to go pick her crazy ass up from wherever she was, okay? That's and true. I, a suit night was an amazing night. It was. It was. But there was an intermission because of her. So I finally got my feet under me. And I was finally ready to, you know, buy a nice outfit, put it together, look good, go out into the world. But like I said, it'll always play in the back of my head that there was an intermission and you had to go pick her up from <laughs> whatever crisis, non-crisis she had. Mm-hmm. I remember so, it. I remember it all too well. Actually, like I want to pause my stuff and talk about suit night because I don't want to get too carried away here because that was that was such a pivotal moment for you and such a fun night. I don't think that either one of us will ever not look back on, never not remember. Yeah, because we still have friends from that night. It was really important, at least for me. Because like we had said, just to go through a full list, right? Like I had finally hit a few weight loss goals. I finally had a little extra money saved up. I went out. I got a custom tailored suit. I felt like uh, amazing. I felt presentable. Like I felt like for the first time in what, three or four months at this point in time that I was worthy of being back out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I could not fucking wait. You bought purple gators. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did, and everybody hates those shoes, and I fucking love them. Y'all can all kiss my ass. You got a lot of compliments that night. I still that love night. purple gators. 
I did. I got compliments from the people I wanted to get complimented by. Some people thought they were stupid. Well, those weren't the people that I was going after. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just the the prep for that whole night, right? Like it was almost like a whole ritual. Like I was talking to you on the phone all day. I was excited about, bro. Just picked up my suit. Just got this. Mm-hmm. Are we doing? We doing tacos? What are we doing? Like, are we gonna eat there? And I was just that childlike, almost like Six Flags excitement of like, oh, I can't wait to. I can't wait to go. And it was like a prom. It was a newly divorced person's prom. I mean, but I mean, it was, obviously it was just the two of us, but that's what, that's the way it felt. The buildup we had to that night was amazing. Yeah. And I would have never have guessed like some of the relationships that would have came out of that first night because one of the first things that happened, right, is we run into a security guard outside that we are convinced looks just like T-Paint. Just like him. And if you, if you meet him, <laughs> you, it, it he acts like T-Pain and, and his Teddy. freaking name is Teddy. Like, <laughs> yeah. So Teddy is amazing. And right as we walk up to the door, he kind of sets the tone for the night because he just immediately starts busting our balls. Mm-hmm. E- not a, I think he told us like, it was like, since we had suits on, we had to pay more of a cover or it looked like we had money. So we're going to pay more Yeah, and just trolling us. Right. Just. Fucking with us, cracking jokes, picking us apart. We're cracking jokes back at him. And we just kind of knew both of us looked and we're like, oh, that's our that's our new best friend for the night. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to make friends with the front security guy because we're going to be in and out smoking cigarettes. And we're going to see him every time we come out here. And this is going to be a fucking blast. I think that's what actually really started the conversation with him was because we told him, hey, we're going to step outside and smoke quite a bit. Like, how long are you working tonight so we don't have to pay cover every time we come back in? Yeah, can we can we work that out? You got a wristband, a stamp, something like that. Like as the night, give a shit. And I'm pretty like, sure that's nope, when he you- said we got to pay a thousand dollars just so we can go outside and smoke, and then still go upstairs and dance if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said going outside to smoke is free, but coming back in and going upstairs would cost us a grand. And yeah. we were like, what? <laughs> now, in my story, Teddy is really important because he was the gatekeeper of my trust for the world without him realizing it and without me realizing it. Right. This is a, once again, this is a hindsight lesson looking back at it. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we did all that prep work, we had, we looked good. We felt good. We ate good. We showed up. And then the first fucking person we interact with goes, you're going to have a good time tonight. And I went, you damn right. I am (laughs) because you just showed to me that I I'm good. Like, Mm -hmm. and it was a small thing. It was a really small thing. But it allowed me to walk into the bar like chest up like I own this bitch because I made the right decision to come out. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on the night, right, may or may not have made the best decisions after that. But in this particular story. (laughs) I think you did. It led you down a very interesting plot line. Well, because, well, the plot line, right, because we walk in chest out. Sorry, I got a little scattered there. We walk in chest out, feel great. We decide we're going to set the bar. Mm -hmm. Right. We're going to sit there. That's where people talk. That's where we bullshit. We sit down and I look up and there's a cute bartender. Classic story. And the cute bartender starts flirting with me. And now I'm on cloud nine. Now you can't tell me shit because I'd have made (laughs) friends with the front door guy and the bartender is legitimately flirting with me. Yeah. Y'all can kiss my ass. This is the best night ever. That was the night we claimed that as our bar. Yeah. We had a good enough like first hour there that we said this is this is where we're staying. It felt really comforting to be in a public place and feel safe. Mm-hmm. Like feel good. Like the staff was nice. 
the drinks were good. The prices weren't bad. They had two, you know, they had an upstairs and a downstairs. So you had a couple of environments, right? We had some variety. It was, it, I just remember that euphoric feeling, that warmness in my chest of being like, yes, this is what life could be. And then, like I said, flirting with the bartender is nice, but this is where you dropped the most important piece of advice that I had at this point for interacting with the world. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was sitting here trying to wrap my head. I was like, wait, what did I tell you that night? I just, I just remembered. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I was flirting with the bartender, bartender flirting with me back, right? Yada, 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 small y'all had chat. A, y'all had a pretty strong chemistry. Yeah, but she said a few things that were red flags off the top. Like, she flat out told me, she was like, I'm crazy, you can't handle me. And I was just like, you know, I just chuckled and continued to flirt and yada, yada, yada. But you kind of pulled me to the side and you were like, hey, so when somebody tells you something, you need to believe it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And you were like, did you not just hear what she said? And I was like, yeah, she likes this, that, and the other. And you were like, no, 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 no. She said (laughs) that she's crazy and you can't handle her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and? And you were like, you should listen to that. That's not a flirting flirting technique. She's telling you who she is. Yeah. Like she, it was a warning flag. Right. And that was a, that was coming in, meeting Teddy, flirting, and then having like that realization all in the same little moment was actually like a really cool combination for me because not only did I get to trust the world that I was making a cool decision, having fun, yada, 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 but I could trust my brother who was there with me to be like, hey, we're having fun. Hey, don't do that. Don't go over there. Yeah. That's the elephant graveyard. We don't go. That's not our territory. (laughs) It didn't stop you. (laughs) No, no, because I told you like, well, yeah, I know like, I'm going to play this out and see what happens. It's I'm, I know I'm not going to marry this chick. Right. But she's flirting with me. I'm flirting with her. Let's see what happens yeah. kind of thing. And that was, you know, that was kind of the start. Cause that was the attitude you had. That was the attitude that you had kind of showed me. It was like, be aware, be cautious, but let yourself have some fun. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was my guideline, right? Be aware, be cautious, but have fun. I mean, yeah, I, I learned that through a whole bunch of trial and error. I mean, I, I, w- when I was dating people, they would tell me what they were up front. This happened quite often with me. They would be honest and tell me who they were. And for some reason, I don't know if it's misogyny, if it's egotistical, like I don't know what part of my toxic male brain lives in this space. But when someone would tell me what they are, I immediately thought I can either fix that or I can change that, or I'll be good enough to, sh- to make you want to change yourself. Like it was not taking them at face value. It was simply saying, I need you to see me. Like it was, it was selfish. Like I need you to see me for what I am. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm about to impress you. I'm going to make you question who you are. That that's dear God, that's horribly unhealthy, but that's like, that's what started with me in my dating. And so I just, I thought that I could be enough to make someone not be that way. Like if someone thinks they're crazy, they're just being harder on themselves. I'm hard on myself. They're just, that's, that's what they're doing. But that's, that's not the case. If someone tells you that kind of stuff up front, you got to listen to it. It's they're being truthful. It's the same thing. If, you know, if someone tells you, look, I'm looking to be married in a year and have kids within two, you can't just casually date that person. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, They're on a timeline. Yeah. They, they set the expectations for you. Right. And that's something I wonder, okay, so how many times did you have to eat crow, right, of of that? Of somebody being like, hey, blah, 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 and you'd be like, I'm Superman. I'm going to do it. How many times <laughs> did you kick yourself in the face? Uh, 
two off the top of my head. There was there was just a couple that that really stuck out to where the person told me up front. Like, I mean, it's, it's a very similar scenario to what to what um, you know, the cute bartender said is that I'm crazy. You can't handle me. I mean, I, I, they would say that. I would, I was like, eh, let's give it a shot anyway. Like, I'm I'm lonely. Like, <laughs> let's let's see where this goes. That's really what it boiled down to. Is I'm lonely. Like, it's I'm out here to date people. Let me date people and see what happens. And you know, I I learned the hard way. There was there was a pretty big instance in the relationship that I was talking about previously where, like, I thought I could handle it. I thought I could fix it. You know, she came to me. She had trauma of her own and. It didn't scare me at first. Protector Steven popped up and said, I got you. Like I can I can handle this. This is this is no problem. Until the night I learned the gravity of that situation, I was not prepared, <laughs> even even the slightest, to handle that information. I'm not gonna go fully deep into this right now, but she gave me a backstory of sexual abuse of trauma of neglect and and so many different things and the details of that story coming out to me standing out in a parking lot talking to her and smoking a cigarette the world went black it caught me so off guard where in one moment everything is fine and then just the next moment i'm numb to all my senses and it's like the the corners just start going black everything starts getting pulled down the curtains are closing and I'm shaking. I feel hot. I feel feverish. This this full-on panic starts to set in. And I was so uneducated as to what a panic attack was at this point. I had been through so much panic and trauma, but I didn't know what a real panic attack was. So sitting out here in this parking lot, I have a legit panic attack. And I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I mm-hmm. straight up thought I was going to die. I thought my heart was failing. This is a heart attack or I'm having a brain aneurysm. Something is happening right now that is going to kill me. And I have to accept that these are the final moments of my life. And so all I could ask for, the only words I could muster were, please get the water bottle out of my Jeep. And so she goes and gets the water bottle out of my Jeep. I make it to a bench and I sit down, take two swigs of water. I close my eyes and I basically accept death because I hear the ringing in my ears my vision goes completely black and silence. And then all of a sudden, everything kind of bursts back into view. Colors, sounds, like I hear the air conditioning unit humming over here. Everything starts kind of coming back. I, I hear her hand on my shirt just kind of rubbing up a, you know, rubbing a circle, kind of comforting me. And then all of a sudden, I hit this euphoric feeling like everything in the world was absolutely amazing. And, bro, I was so confused <laughs> what just okay. happened and that was the moment that it hit me i couldn't process it all that night but that was the moment that it hit me that that said you're you you're not superman right like you can't just take everyone's trauma and pain and say you can fix it sometimes people have to do that work on their own and it's it was life changing well, I mean, a panic attack will change your life for sure because it'll give you some perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I know that me and you have had conversations, and I knew before that moment because I believe when you called me, I kind of laughed about it and chuckled because I was just like, oh, panic attack, first one? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of like that meme, right? Where you're just like, oh, first time? Like, yeah. Now I can make that joke, but that next morning, like I pushed through, I was like, that's crazy. She even told me, like, you just experienced a panic attack. That's what I just saw happen to you. Of course, she wanted to know what caused it and all this kind of stuff. And I, 
I'm pretty sure I bottled up a lot that night and just said like, I don't know, that was a lot to handle. I, I, I just, I think I need some rest. I'm real tired, you know, cliche kind of thing. And I made it to the next morning and called you and said, you know, explained everything that happened and said, bro, I don't, I don't know how to handle this because my body shut down. I've never taken an amount of, of trauma or someone else's story before and had a physical reaction. And that's when I called you and I was I, I need help, like explaining <laughs> what happened to me, confirming that it was a panic attack. And like, how the fuck do I even heal from that? Well, I think in that moment, your body had actually like reached its physical limit, right? Of what you can take on. Like you had been Superman for literally every relationship, right? We talked about this, that mm-hmm. you would, you find someone worth saving or I'll, you're dating on potential and not what they're giving you in front. And I think you finally hit someone that just had so much that your body just was like, it tapped out, right? It was just like, no, we can't. You're still, dude, you don't even know what's going on with you. Right? You're, you're yeah. still figuring yourself out. And then you're trying to, you know, touch on this person's deepest, darkest demons. What are you doing? And your body just alt f it out and <laughs> you just set out. So. Well, it contradicted everything that I was searching for up to that point. You know, I was creating a fairy tale moment, right? I was looking for sparks and love and and all these beautiful stories and everything's going to absolutely be amazing. And then I forget that other people have history too. And that that was something that I spent so long trying to avoid. I was trying to avoid people with history. And so I had, I had built up this fake facade of like, I'm amazing and can fix anything and met someone and and went through this cockiness where I was like, this is all going to be okay. And then I found out really quick that I just wasn't prepared to handle that. And you shouldn't have to brother, man. I mean, of course I shouldn't have to, but that's what, that's where I was. That's what, that's the journey that I was on at that point was I, I felt like I needed to fix people again. Did you get comfortable in that old feeling of that fix it mode? Like did all that kick off like your, all your old habits and stuff when you were in that relationship or what? Yeah, I had going on there. I had a moment with my therapist where he asked me that same question, actually, because he said, he said, do you feel like you're attracting people that need saving? And that hit me really hard. Yeah. (laughs) What an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but it helped like it's. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's got to be said, but still like, damn, I, I, I think I was, I think I was putting out this, this savior mentality out there in the world that. You know, none of your, I mean, we've, we've talked about it before, but like my empathy that I learned to transition into, you know, learning how to accept someone else's story and lean into it. Well, when you, when you boil all that down and you hone that, and then you apply it to the dating world, it just seems like I can't be hurt so I can handle all of your trauma. Well, when that's, when that's out there, what you do is you attract people with a lot of trauma because you're the first bright light they've had. You're the best thing going on in their life. Yeah. And that's what. I think that's what was happening. I, I didn't really see all of it at the time, obviously, but I know for me, this was an interesting point because especially, <clears throat> especially on a night, like the suit night where I am winning, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm having a good night. Mm-hmm. It's, it's stacking up. I'm feeling great. You're feeling great. I see you happy. And then she sends you a text and your whole mood shifts, Right. And as your brother, just sitting back and watching, like almost feeling guilty, right? Because I'm, I'm having a good night. I'm having fun with myself. I'm not knowing it right, but I'm achieving these little goals and building my trust back in the world. And then I'm almost watching you 
distrust the world a little more because of your interactions with her. And it just mm. like, it sucked to kind of like observe that, right. To be in a hive highs, but watch you be up there with me and then get leg swept because of like something else that you have to deal with. It's pretty much because I wasn't really ready to trust anybody else. Uh, that became really clear in this relationship is because, you know, I'd spent this time building my sparks and fairy tales and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, that's all well and good, but that's a created story. That's not real life. You know, it's, I think you were the one that had to tell me this, but like, I'm at, at this time, I'm 31 years old. Did I really think that I was going to meet somebody with a spotless history where I wouldn't have to deal with someone's past? Like, hell no, that's not even an option anymore. We're grown ass men. Like everyone comes with a history now. Yeah. There's no factory seals on any of us anymore. And if no. you do find one, I got questions. Well, I mean, lots of them. We're jumping ahead here, but like I did find one and it's, it's not fun. Like you want someone with history. Like we need life. We need experience to be able to relate and, and share stories and all this kind of stuff. But I, I wasn't in a place to handle someone else's. Nor should I like people we have, you know, obviously like everyone who needs to handle their own stuff that I don't, this was the ending of this relationship showed me that I can't be a savior anymore. I can't fix someone else's problems. All I can worry about is my own problems and pray that I meet somebody else who handled their own shit too. So it sounds like this whole situation just kind of changed the way you viewed relationships. Yeah. I'm not looking for just anybody uh, or someone with an interesting story. I'm looking for someone who healed through their story. I thought anybody could be better than my ex and and most people are, but it's not, it's, it's, <laughs> it's finding someone who actually healed through their trauma because that's, that's, those are the problems that I keep running up against is someone else who is willing to put in the work that I am or that any rational person would to, to not bleed all over other people. I mean, hurt people, hurt other people. That's, that's in our mission statement. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And that's why I was so cautious reentering the world, right? I knew I was a hurt person. And I knew that there's a very good possibility that if I didn't fix what I had going on in my life, that I was going to hurt someone else because of what I had. And inversely, that's why the suit night was so important to me because I was hurting, but I wasn't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I still had some after effects, but I could, I could go out into the world. I have built enough trust in myself. I've done enough healing. I've done enough rebuilding that now I can plug back in. I felt like that night was your affirmation night. Like, let me present myself, let me peacock, like we said, and get out there and show myself to the world as a, as a test or a trial run to see if any negative comment or, I mean, Teddy shit talking to you at the beginning, like, see if anything's yeah, going to throw yeah. you off your game, but it didn't like you passed your test. And that's what it felt like. It felt like the proverbial stamp on my post-divorce journey, right? It was, it was almost like a small little, for me, a small little graduation. Mm-hmm. It was a celebration of, Hey, you did it. Like you've done enough to celebrate this point. You've earned this milestone. The world, while it is not for you, is not against you. Right. Inherently. It's just, the world is what it is. Yeah. So how I get out and interact with it and how I make opportunities is my choice. And that night sealed it for me. And it, it showed me that it's My life is going to be what I make it. And that's all it's ever going to be. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love your story so much. Um, <laughs> that's actually where we're going to wrap up this season is, is right there. Is that the, the beautiful moment of just learning that your life is what you make it. I mean, it's, it's all just a video game. Treat it like a video game. You just get out there and, and do some shit. And I'm the main character in this video game. I get to go do all the little side quests. Yeah. I get to go explore the world. 
I get to climb rocks. I get to test boundaries, but it's my game. Yeah, a thousand percent. And that's that's where we're going to wrap up season one. It's uh, It's been an amazing ride. Again, thank you everyone for listening and reaching out to us. We're going to come back with season two on March 3rd, 2023. So just about a month or so, a month and a half away. Is that right? Something like that. But until then, as always, I want you to stay safe, keep your mental health in check, and keep growing. Keep growing.